Why are you quitting your profession at no warning? And what are you going to do? To which my response was, I don't know, but I'm going to be an employer. Welcome to another episode of the Wonderful Leaders Podcast with a special guest as always and also a, a new friend of mine that I've met over the last little while and someone who I'm getting to know who's a real sort of encouragement to me and everything is up to at the moment. So welcome Matt Parfit. Hi Dan, thanks for having me on. Yeah, great to be with you mate. First off Matt, for those who don't know you, sort of tell us what a day in the life of the CEO of Grace Enterprises looks like. Yeah, pretty busy, to be honest. So I get up fairly early, bit of time with God, do a bit of work, then take the dog for a walk and then sort of family breakfast. We've got three kids and let's have a bit of a gap then while doing family life and then normally head into the office for like, say, 10 o'clock and then be there. Very varied job running a charity, but also running three different businesses. So a mixture, I guess like you, of doing lots of stuff, getting lots of emails out, but also being there for other people and encouraging them and enabling them to do their jobs and then going back to your own work when you get time. That does sound like a lot of work, a, a charity and three businesses. Yeah. We'll deep dive into that a little bit more, but tell us a little bit about how this journey began, particularly your sort of entrepreneurial journey. Yeah, it's a bit different to some of the usual stories, I think, because I was not an entrepreneur. I'm not from a family of entrepreneurs or people in business. So I was a primary school teacher, very happy teaching. I was teaching year one in a pretty tough part of town. I live in Nottingham, so a school here. And yeah, well, to be honest, felt called out of it by God. And I think looking back, it's go back to 2006. And my wife and I went to Kenya and we were looking at churches there and seeing what they were doing. I was teaching, she was working in a hospital as a doctor. But actually at the end of that time, we went to a church and saw some amazing things. And the thing that stuck is the church was running businesses. They were seeing people come to know Jesus, being part of a community, and then they were getting employment. And it was a church that was doing amazing stuff in the community. It was had a famine outreach program, it had built a police station, a school, a hospital. It was just doing amazing stuff. And I was, I think traces back to then of seeing the power of what business can do really set something ablaze in me. Wow. So it took a trip to Kenya and like almost like a, a whole different environment to kind of spark off that kind of fresh, was it imagination? Was it a sort of, was it a fresh sort of, we can make a difference this way? Yeah, I think it was seeing I suppose the power of a church running at full potential or doing something I'd never seen a church in the UK do before and so a year later or less a bit less than a year but in 2007 then I was I was yeah, meeting up with a guy he'd he'd his life had turned around but he was still living in the same area still surrounded by the same friends the same bad influences too much time on his hands and not enough money so he needed a job but actually, me as a teacher, my wife as a doctor, our friends, lots of middle-class people who would be really caring and really compassionate, but there was no one there that could give him a job. And I was getting really frustrated about this and sort of like was arguing with God about it and getting angry and saying, God, someone needs to do something about this. And then you can guess <laughs> the answer comes back to me <laughs> and like hearing God, like, well, you do it then. So, so I did. That was a Saturday afternoon. 
And on Monday morning, I handed him a notice. Really? That dramatic? Wow. Yeah, so on Monday morning, I handed him a notice. It was a case of God has spoken. Either God's real and he speaks or he's not and he doesn't. And I believe he, does, he is real and he does speak. So God's just spoken. I'm handing him a notice. So the head teacher who was like, how was your weekend? Um, perfectly understandably. And bear in mind, on Friday, I'd have said, see you on Monday. And there was, not, there was no expectation this was going to happen. No warning signs. So I'm handing him a notice and he's, he's got two things on his mind. One is what school's poached you? Where are you going? What, have you got a better job? And I was like, no, I'm not going to another school. Which therefore raises the next question, which is like, what are you going to do then? Why are you quitting your profession at no warning? Um, and what are you going to do? Uh, to which my response was, and it's quite telling for the, what's happened the last 16 years, is I don't know, but I'm going to be an employer. And what I was saying in that was, I don't know. And I'd probably would say it doesn't really matter what business we run, but a need to be, I'm going to be an employer. That's the specific calling on my life to employ people who have major barriers to work, who are struggling to get a job, who potentially no one else will take on and create businesses that will create jobs so we can employ them. So it was very much that way around. Like I'm going to be an employer. How will I do that? Rather than I've got this bright entrepreneurial idea. Okay, now I need to employ someone. But it started from the problem the problem being long-term unemployment, major barriers. Okay, let's go and create a, a solution to that that involves a business. What will it be? You mentioned something earlier on. It's about the experience you had in Kenya. And you, you mentioned sort of seeing a church sort of alive with helping people and empowering people from, from an entrepreneurship and employment perspective. So what's the church got to do with entrepreneurship? It is a good question. And I think as most churches don't have anything to do with entrepreneurship, it's clearly a, a very valid question. I, I would go back even further to being like, God is the ultimate creator entrepreneur, making stuff out of nothing, stuff that is valuable and beautifully made. And so being a, an entrepreneur as a Christian, to me, seems like a perfectly natural kind of thing to do. It's problem solving and, and making a difference. So why the church? Well, I believe that church is God's plan A for actually making the yeah making a difference in the world, for seeing people come to know Him and just living out that relationship with God. So therefore, why wouldn't the church do it? And looking back, look at the history of the church doing so much through whether it's businesses like Cadbury's or Lloyd's or Clark's or so much Christian heritage in businesses that we seem to have lost over the last couple of hundred years. So I actually think it's it's a really good thing that business and entrepreneurship and the church fit together really well. But actually that the business has got quite a bad reputation and business at its worst is awful. The rich get richer, the poor get poorer, the environment's wrecked and it's just exploitative. But business at its best is, is redemptive. It creates opportunities. It gives people jobs. It gives people hope and purpose and dignity. It supports families and actually creates wealth and resources to, to make the world a better place. It's just that very rarely do people actually then choose to use the money that way. But when it's business at its best, I think is a really powerful force for good. Yeah. Well, we're singing from the same hymn sheet there, my friend. 
And I suppose, like, you know, you, you kind of had this sort of church experience in Kenya, then you've come back and, you know, maybe you were part of a local church and you're kind of sort of delving into this, right, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to be an employer, you know. And you knew you had a mission, right? What I'm really hearing is you've got that sense of mission. It's like, I'm going to be an employer. I'm going to help those people that need employment. There's a real clarity in that. But then how does that sort of sense of mission how did that play out you know what did you do next what problem did you look to solve first you know because i know you mentioned three businesses up top so where did we start how did that look yeah well actually in the forerunner to that so i went to the church and was saying look how about we do this together i've seen a church doing it i really feel like it's the best way forward i think it's a god thing i've handed in my notice and they said no and I find that really hard to take, and this is 2007, but I did it for 10 years, ran a gardening business, was actually the vehicle. So it started off as garden maintenance and grew into landscaping, and I think by the end, I'd employed 35 different guys doing it, but but it was never about the gardening, and it was just frustrating that, how do you employ the single parent? Well, they can't do the school runs and be out for a whole day's digging. How do you employ... The former addict who's they can't do a day's digging, their body's just not up to it in their 50s. But it'd be great if someone ran a business that could employ them. And but those people didn't come along. So it, it got back to thinking, actually, do you know what? It's gonna be me starting that business. And the gardening, I became the bottleneck. So actually, it couldn't grow past me. So I was working, I had people working alongside me, but I was doing the businessy side of it and the the quotes and that sort of thing, the customer relationships and the skilled work. And I'd, I'd suddenly become the bottleneck, but actually say so laying the gardening down to say, let's do something simpler, that's more scalable, that doesn't rely on any single person to make it work, means that if things go wrong with that person, it can carry on. Or more positively, when things grow, we don't, we're not stuck at all that singular talented person, but actually if we could do something simpler, let's create more jobs. And so it was, that was what happened. I went back to the church in 2017. So 10 years after I left teaching to say, here's a fresh sort of vision and a business plan and an idea of what things could look like if we work together. And I guess the 10 years later, it's a long time of waiting, but, but actually say things had changed. So the, the credit crunch had come along, food banks were, had been established everywhere. The church leadership had changed. I undoubtedly would have been a lot more humble mid-30s than I would have been mid-40s. I also had a bit of a track record. It seemed to be working. So, and, and yeah, it was just a fresh time. And so the elders looked at it and it was a decision by Grace Church to start Grace Enterprises. And so it's been a real joy starting that. Shall I outline what we do? Yes, please. Saves me one next question. <laughs> so yeah grace enterprises is all about transforming lives through supportive employment in our sustainable businesses so i'd stopped the gardening and had this big vision let's do something in nottingham then the uk then beyond seven businesses so we're starting off pretty big here and but it's got to start somewhere and that somewhere was a cleaning business that's still running now so radiant cleaners been going for six years it currently employs about 31 people in it including people with major barriers to work so up to nine refugees working for us various them from the ukraine 
We've got people who've been in prison, been homeless, struggled with addiction, survivors of modern slavery, you name it, sort of major barriers to work, giving people jobs, paying them the real living wage, saying you are you are worthy and you are inherently valuable. We're going to pay you the real living wage rather than the bare minimum, as would be the norm in the industry. Brilliant. But also recognizing that just giving someone a job is not the answer. It's not going to solve many people's, it's not going to solve all the problems. So the supportive employment bit is crucial. The sort of holistic approach, coaching, mentoring, getting alongside people, doing life with them. We find it's that that is the transformative bit more than the, you've got a bit more money and you've got a got a job, but actually Brilliant. there's so much more to it than that. And giving people hope and purpose and dignity is the stuff that actually is changing lives along with, yeah, along with Jesus. But um, so that was business one. Business two, we started was a an events business. So marquee hire for weddings and corporate events. So you can imagine it's different people would put a marquee up and take it down than might suit office cleaning. And that's very deliberate. That's why we've got different businesses to create different jobs for different people. And so we employ people in that business and then thirdly, just started in 2023 is our biscuit business. So half the story, it's all about us baking biscuits and they're being sold all over the place. It's a really amazing story on its own. But we'd be saying, look, it's not about the biscuit. It is, it is a great tasted biscuit. And I would be really passionate about excellence. But actually, that's not why I quit teaching. It's not why we do what we do. It's to create jobs for people with major barriers to work. And that's where we see lives transformed. Amazing. And uh, for all our sort of listeners out there that haven't had a chance to taste half the biscuit yet, two things. One, get some now. And two, I can vouch that they are extremely good. And I think, you know, just, just look, I've not told you this, Matt, but just one of the um, things I really loved about the wonderful summit in May this year, where you were at with a, you know, a whole crew from Nottingham, there was a Nottingham massive that came down, which was yep. amazing. But um, we that, yeah. you know, we'd we'd met we'd met beforehand, and you were telling me about the vision and sharing a little bit about him and talking about the branding piece. And then he came up to me at the summit, and yeah. you had a packet of biscuits in your hand, and I was like, "That is cool. That is that's like entrepreneurship at its purest and finest. Like you've just been out there making something happen. You got it into market, you know." And it was a real privilege to be able to sort of you know just share it on stage a little bit. And I was just yeah, yeah I just loved um just love seeing that journey so tell us a bit about the journey specifically with the biscuits because it's a new venture but it's uh seems you seem to be taking big strides with it yeah it's been incredible it's our first step from i suppose three service-based companies we're doing your gardens we're doing your cleaning we're doing events essentially we're selling time and we're trying to do it really well based time now all of a sudden into a product and it's been quite incredible. So the reasons why we did it would have been there are lots of social enterprise coffee companies doing great stuff. And there are tea companies that are doing, making a real difference as well. And then I've been to a lot of meetings over the years where it would be, would you like a cup of coffee? Here's our coffee that's changing the world. Here's our tea that's changing the world. And then do you want a, oh, I'm about to say a biscuit brand that I probably shouldn't say, a nondescript <laughs> biscuit that's been made, that's got a 12-month shelf life and tastes rubbish. And I have then thought, well, actually, 
surely that there is literally a gap in the market here. If anyone could ever build, make a social enterprise biscuit, then who doesn't like biscuits? Then, and it turns out 99.2% of the population like biscuits. And <laughs> it's a $34 billion, <laughs> billion, billion pound um, industry. And so actually the market wow. is vast. But most importantly for me would be, it creates different jobs. So instead of being out in a field, putting a marquee up, which suits some people, or maybe on your own cleaning away and doing the regular job, then for the very first time, we control our own little environment. We can set the culture of a bakery. We can have a team of people working together. It doesn't matter what time of year it is or what um, whether, it, whether it's hot or cold, rainy, sunny, it doesn't matter. And suddenly we've got our workplace environment. Before we'd be saying, look, we, we might be lovely people, but you've got to go and clean that office over there or in that other office or on a construction site. And that's brilliant for some, but it doesn't suit others. So I think people who've suffered any kind of trauma in particular, then rather than sending them out into the unknown almost, we can look after people a bit more. We can manage things. We can have a bakery running well, get the right people in the right jobs. So the joy would be it creates different jobs for different people. But as an actual business venture, it's phenomenal because essentially I've been selling cleaning like when I'd have been at a social enterprise meeting in London, it's like, well, that's lovely. You're up from the far north in Nottingham and you're running a cleaning company. Well, that's not really relevant to me. And then it's like, you've come back and you're running an events business and in the Midlands. Well, that's interesting that you've done it a second time. Not many people do that, but it's still not relevant because I don't want an event in the Midlands. Thank you very much. But all of a sudden you're back again and you're doing biscuits. Well, I have them on my boardroom table in our staff canteen and just at every single event, conferencing. And so all of a sudden, it, it seems to be demonstrating the social value that people talk about and don't have a clue how to deliver it. So how do you deliver your ESG agenda if you're a web design company or an accountancy firm? Or a, you can probably sort out the E part and be a bit more environmental. You could probably sort out your G because it's just doing things properly. But S, no idea. Well, here we are handing it to you on a plate, literally. Like here's a biscuit that delivers that social side because we've got the people baking them in Nottingham that are actually, their lives are being changed. And so it has taken off in a stratospheric way. We're going to move to a new bakery, increase production times 10, and it still won't scratch the surface. Wow. And where does the name come from? Yeah, we would say that it's a great biscuit but it's not about the biscuit. That's only half the story. The other half of the story, and we'd probably say the more important half of the story, is actually about the people who've made it, the lives that are transformed, the people that are given hope, purpose, dignity through employment. And this is a business that we've started with Green Pastures, the national homelessness charity. And so it's got a particular focus on homelessness and how can we employ people who've have major barriers to work but especially homelessness and get them back into society and see redemption really and restoration we all know that people have been homeless it's not just if you gave them a house it would solve the problem of course they need a house but it's so much more than that the the pastoral support but also something meaningful to do which is for most people would be a job so knowing how hard that is green pastures approached us and said would we be able to work with them 
because we're employing the kind of people they're housing, but could we work together more intentionally to set up a model that starts where we are in Nottingham, but then could replicate nationwide and create an employment model with satellite bakeries to actually employ people all over the place. So for the very first time, I've had the fun of starting a business with the intention of going national and so far so good. You can clearly hear your sort of passion and clarity of mission, like you know what you want to achieve at that missional level. But what are the next, paint me a little picture of the next few years, you know, how does this, how does this play out across the UK? Yeah, well, thanks for asking, because this is the question my wife hates, because she (laughs) would just like us to do what we did before and try and do a bit better and just get it comfortable for a while. And I, yes, you could tell we're different personalities. So, um, but to be fair to her, she gave up. She did even more of a sacrifice. She gave up, gave up being a GP. If you want to ask me about that in a minute, I'll, I'll tell you a different story. But um, for this one, for the next few years, which is a question that I love, then the bigger Grace Enterprises picture has always been, we're going to start seven different businesses to transform lives. We'll pioneer in Nottingham, then the UK, and then beyond. Wouldn't it be cool if we could, well, we'd say what we're called to do of actually starting a church-based business thing that actually is replicable and inspires others and encourages churches across the UK and beyond to actually get involved in business, to get off the sidelines, to reclaim some of the territory that we've vacated over the last couple of hundred years, and all of a sudden to be relevant in society, to actually employ people, to employ them well, to be there through all the ups and downs of life, and actually... We will do it because of our faith, but we're really employing people of all faiths and none. And if people want to ask questions, then they're welcome to. If they don't want to, that's absolutely fine. We're going to be great employers. And if we could see that across the country, maybe we'll really see a difference. So specifically with um, half the story, which is the easiest one to replicate in my mind, then we're going to have a regional hub in Nottingham up and running that gets the business growing and established and able to to fulfill the massive orders right now that we are having to say not yet to. We're not saying no, but we're definitely saying not yet. We literally cannot make enough. So therefore, but we'll work with you to solve that problem. And the crazy thing is, all these corporates that I ought to be knocking the door down and trying to get in and they say no, they are bending over backwards and fighting themselves to help us. And actually, like wow. we are useful to them. It's not just they like me or it's a, they like homelessness that much. It's actually... We've hit somewhere where actually this is social value at its best and they need us to win the next big tender. It's such an easy way to make a difference for them. So it is a sort of a phenomenal position right now. So our plan would be regional hub, but then to be able to create satellite bakeries so that we could say to people wherever around the country, look, if you're good at housing people, you've got people that need jobs, here is a model, here's all the training, here's all the manuals, here's all the recipes, here are the standards. We'll come and train. Come to Nottingham for a bit. We'll come, then we'll come to you and train you. We've already won the big orders. We're giving you guaranteed work. You can give your people regular work. You can pay them the real living wage. You can create something of value. You can do the bit you wanted to do, which is the pastoral side. You don't need to be great at sales or marketing or websites or anything like that. It's all been done centrally. So actually you do what you're good at, change lives locally. And we'll centrally give you the tools to do that. 
rather than running one big massive thing in Nottingham if it was to work and saying, wow, come and look at this, it's great. Actually to say, we want to see people employed across the country, anywhere there's a, where there's a homelessness problem, anywhere where there's a, a business opportunity, which is every major city in the UK. Beyond that, we'd be saying, we'll start the next business. So the fourth Grace Enterprises business, what's it going to be? Don't know, I've got a few ideas. There's things that we'd love to do, but God's been so faithful through the years, one by one. I had no idea what would come second. I actually wanted to start something different first, but didn't have the money. So it's genuinely, it's not about that. And I've grown to see over the years, it's not even necessarily about the ideas or about the money. It's about the people who are going to lead it. That's the key part, I think, of what we do next will be who are the right people and then making stuff happen. But the plan isn't to stop half the story however big it got then we'll still do the next thing because feel really specifically called to create different businesses for different people and so the plan is still to create businesses four five six and seven and who knows what happens after that but actually creating a different business so i'd be looking at as what is the problem we're trying to solve and if it was say people who are in wheelchair users and so how can we create a business that creates jobs for them or survivors of modern slavery how can we create a business that is focused on their needs and actually supporting them rather than i've had a brilliant idea that i think it's going to make a load of money like i'm i think there are lots of possible lots of possibilities and i and also now that we've got a bit of a reputation for having done stuff and making things work then there are people who are prepared to resource it philanthropists who are prepared to give seed funding we've got people who believe in us that we might be able to pull it off and I guess my job these days is more about casting vision pulling together a team and really going for it and empowering others to to really make a difference I'm not trying to lead seven businesses but I think I might be able to start them and actually get others to to lead and that's been a real joy and we'll see what God does because we haven't got the people we haven't got the money we haven't got the ideas but we have got the vision and ultimately if it's in him then he'll do it anyway brilliant you've mentioned leadership a few times in different guises in the answer and one of the passions i have in this podcast is hearing people's amazing stories as you've been sharing for the last few minutes but also digging into to you to your life as a leader because i realize as john maxwell says that everything rises and falls on leadership and as i said you've mentioned leadership a couple of times so I want to just, you know, look at look at some of the areas of how you've been, you know, walking this journey. And I think the first question I've got is sort of along this journey, you know, sort of several years in now, what have been some of those leadership keys that you've learned along the way? Yeah, it has been a real journey of learning stuff because I've gone from doing with the gardening to managing with the cleaning to now empowering others and casting vision and getting other people to to start stuff and and I've enjoyed that a lot more than I thought like when I was a primary school teacher I didn't even want to be a head teacher I was I wanted to be on the coal face with the children when I was gardening if you asked me what was the best bit or what do I miss the only thing I'd say is being with the guys and working together and being side by side and so yeah the journey has definitely changed over the years now actually managing and then leading others so I think that I mean, a book I've read, The Trusted Executive by John Blakey is brilliant. I'd highly recommend it to anyone. That 
talks, as you would guess, about trusted leaders and, and the power of trust and not trusting in power, but the power of trust. So that that's a really powerful book who, um, by a guy who's been there, done it, and yeah, explains it really, really clearly. And as I said, I found a real joy in empowering others, much more than I than I thought I would. And I found that I've gone from being the leader that said, I would never ask anyone to do anything I couldn't do. I could do everything when it was gardening, and then I would choose to employ someone else. And if it came to it, we could both dig a hole and I'd, I'd, I'd still win. Like, <laughs> as in, I could prove myself, I could justify why I was doing what I was doing. But actually, now it isn't about, can I bake biscuits? It's about, can I break, put the right resources and the right parameters and get the right things for people to be able to lead that, get the right leaders in place and let, and really letting them run with it to, to see them, not to micromanage, but to say, look, how can I add value here? How can I help you? What are the obstacles? What are the bottlenecks I need to remove for you to go and do your your job to the best of your God-given abilities rather than you don't need to do it the way I do it. This is the problem. How can I help you to solve it rather than here's my solution, which let's be honest, obviously it's my favorite solution, but it's one of many and it doesn't need to be solved my way. And so... I, I found that really enjoyable over the last few years and especially as it's, but that's only worked because of having great people. I have to say that my biggest problem, I struggle with people who aren't massively competent. So incompetence drives me insane, especially if deep down I think, oh, I could do that better than you. I don't, <laughs> but there's such a joy in people doing stuff that I definitely can't do and thinking, I'm so glad that you are leading the systems and the processes and the operations. You're making stuff better I might be able to make new stuff happen, but actually someone else to do all the the people stuff and the line management and to to give people the the kind of work environment they deserve rather than the rough and ready front edge of an entrepreneurial journey, which isn't for everyone. Absolutely. Probably something in those few ramblings. <laughs> no, that's brilliant, Matt. That's really helpful. It's 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 so good to I think you've explained really well that kind of journey of entrepreneurship and leadership and the difference between, you know, sort of, you know, that hands-on into management, into leadership, into pioneering, into, you know, I think you've explained that really well. And I think your life, your life story as we've unpacked today really sort of embodies that really well. So before we get to the next question, what happened with your wife? Tell us about that. Yeah. So like when I said we went to Kenya, teacher, doctor, no kids, proper missionary material, but also a parent's dream, teacher and doctor, sorted, jobs for life. <laughs> yeah. So I um so when I said I'm gonna leave teaching, I was I think there were a few raised eyebrows, but let's be honest, male primary school teacher, year one, I could get another job if it doesn't work. I can go back. But Sam had always found that like she was very clever, very able. She was always passing every exams, never failed one. But actually, was was it what God was calling her to do or not? And we were, so I was always in the back of my mind. So it got to 2017. So that was a year when I started Grace Enterprise. So absolute change in our household where she had just qualified. And I mean, just qualified December 2016. And then God called her out of it. Like really, really clearly. And so- wow. and, Ding in your notice after a few months as a GP, having spent 18 years qualifying to get there, 
having your identity changed, your name changed to doctor, then actually it's a huge thing to sacrifice that. And that was the one where I got more than an eyebrow raise to pay people of like, you guys are crazy. Like one career is one thing, two is another. And this is the safe one that's better paid, let's be honest. So actually to sacrifice that and then for us to say, we are all in here for this. Like we, I, like I said earlier, either God's real or is not. And we were, she really didn't want it to be what God was saying. And so she would, would test it, the opposite of me, tested it, weighed it, didn't want it to be true. And so over the course of, say, six months in that year, came to the conclusion that she was being asked to give it up. And so she did that really faithfully. But that certainly is a part of the journey. I wouldn't necessarily recommend it to anyone where we've just gone from two careers to no careers and employing people in a cleaning business that's not going to make much money, paying people more than the average, employing people no one else will employ and saying that God's going to see us through. It's It's been a journey. Wow. I feel like we need to do a podcast with your wife. I feel like we need an episode <laughs> with, with her. <laughs> well, and just to say with her that she, so then she was volunteer as our employee support person. And, but actually the supportive employment. So at church, so she was, so we're working together. So that's another podcast, husbands and wives working together. But actually then she's, she's she now is paid, but she did three or four years without being paid. And but it's the difference of what, what part of what makes it work. So we've got great employee support. She looks at things so differently, holistically, is always looking out for the people. And she knows the difference between someone who is basically saying they're sick and someone who really does need to go and get some medical help or someone who is struggling for all kinds of other reasons. And it means that we can support people so powerfully. And um, we're so grateful that she's able to do that now but it does mean yeah we're working together and um with all the challenges and the joys that come from that amazing so what's um i, I feel like i should ask you a question for both you and your wife at the same time now now that you're working together what's getting you up in the morning what really what's really motivating you right now for me it is as simple as i'm 100 percent convinced i'm doing what god's called me to do and if we believe there is more than this life, then I'm really looking forward to heaven. And on this earth, I haven't got that long and feel like God's given me a real specific calling and maybe even a specific gifting to go and do something that no one else is going to do. And so I get a real buzz out of thinking, if I don't do this, nothing's going to, this isn't going to happen. And so actually making stuff happen, but really recognizing that the heavy lifting in that is not being done by me. It's, it's being done by God. So it's him that calls, it's him that makes difference. It's him that can do the life transforming that can really make a difference. I just have the joy of being along for the ride and doing a little bit here or there. So I'm really work hard on trying not to uh, think high, too highly of myself and my role in it. I know God could use anyone, but actually it's it's fun doing that because I feel like what I do is really important. And because not because it changes my life, but because it actually changes the lives of the 150 plus people that we've employed. And I believe there'll be thousands more to come. So it feels I'm doing something with a real purpose. It is not a grind. I look forward to Monday mornings because I genuinely believe we're going to make a difference and that amazing things will happen. And when you see 
miracle after miracle and provision after provision, then I'm excited about what's coming next. So what keeps you awake at night? It would be late night meetings and then uh, <laughs> not being able to switch off properly. And what really keeps me awake at night would be when I've got that power and control dynamic wrong. So when I'm taking on too much responsibility, where I'm starting to think that it depends on me and whether I do stuff or whether I do it well enough. But actually, if it was never my idea in the first place and it's not my responsibility to make it work, and I'm a child of God and saved whatever happens, then I'm freed up to do whatever I whatever the best that I can do and know that that is good enough. If it's going to be life-changing, I can't change lives, but I know a God who can. And so, and if he's not in it, then what's the point? I may as well go back and do something else. I could do something that's so much easier than this. But so it's taking on too much responsibility, maybe thinking about the money. So I, we are would always set a deficit budget. We'll be saying, look, we're a charity that's going to go out and believing that God's going to come through for us. But that can be stressful at different points of the year where like, I would love God to just put some money in our bank account and we could just operate from that position and we could do whatever we want. I've got loads of ideas we could do with more money. But throughout the Bible, there are stories of people who God provides for day after day after day, whether that's in the wilderness or the widow's oil, there's just so many things. He doesn't tend to just give you, here's a, here's a massive deposit. And I think that that helps us to stay faithful and not to think too highly of ourselves and not to think we've made it and keeps us keen. And so, but if I could be honest, I'd rather it was slightly less tight sometimes, but, um, but yeah, it would be thinking too much about it really. Yeah. Brilliant. And the final question we always ask our guests, Matt, is what's the one piece of advice that you would give your younger self? Well, can I do two or is that busting this? Oh, go so, for it. There we go. I think to be patient because it took 10 years for the church to say yes. So to be to carry on and not get too upset when they say no, but actually to be a bit more linked to it. So maybe it's one and one A. Um, it's empathetic and actually to understand that other people don't see things quite the way I do, that their point of view is different. Not everybody likes change or the the adventure. And even if I was right, and I'm not saying I am, even if I was right, then actually taking people with you on a journey is, is worth it. It is going to be slower. Um, like if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together, that kind of thing. So actually, how do you take people with you? And I'm thinking of my wife here and others of like, how do on this journey, if it's really going to work, and therefore trying to consider what they're thinking, their point of view, and going a bit slower. So therefore linking back to that patience thing. Um, I think I've still got a lot to learn there, and therefore I definitely had a, even more to learn uh, a while back. Brilliant. Matt, it's been such a pleasure just hearing you unpack your story and hearing that sense of clarity of mission and vision and that how you're keeping that at the forefront and just the wisdom that's come over the years and, you know, not realizing that, you know, you can't do everything and it's not about you and patience and all those things you've shared are brilliant. So bless you and your wife and your family and all you do. And yeah, looking forward to sort of being with you on this journey and cheering you on. Uh, thanks, mate. It's been, it's been great fun. Really enjoyed the questions. I do actually love listening to the Wonderful Leaders podcast. So it feels like a real privilege to be on it. So thanks, mate. And yeah, looking forward to doing this adventure with you in the years to come.
We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Wonderful Leaders podcast. To be part of the community, join us on Slack and follow us on Instagram. Simply look us up at wonderfulleaders.com. See you there.